how many of you have ever been excluded or uh, pulled aside or not uh, followed up with because of something? Because of maybe your gender or maybe your race or maybe something, yeah, uh, or something, or maybe your socioeconomic status. Exclusion is a real thing. Exclusion is huge. And I was thinking about, you know, how does exclusion happen in our culture? What happens quite a bit right now is, has anyone ever heard of something called the cancel culture? The, the cancel culture. Canceling. I'm only going to ask you to raise your hands about five to ten more times. So you say cancel culture. Cancel culture is essentially you cancel uh, whatever it is uh, based on like you don't like it. Or it, I'm going to hop back up now. Oh, yeah, baby. I'm so strong. So it's a form of boycott that excludes one group from another. It's usually done in, uh, to uh, isolate people in professional circles, and it's usually done by social media. And some of it's real, some of it's not so real. Uh, I can think of a few examples. As, uh, this is very popular on college campuses. It's easy to rally students, and you all of a sudden you say you protest, you say you don't like something, and before you know it becomes a movement, and no one on campus does it. Uh, I just recently saw that America's sweetheart Chris Pratt had to apologize for using a plastic bottle in an ad and they were trying to cancel him, but no one can cancel Chris Pratt. And he's such a great guy. And then also maybe the most popular one in the last week or two is what? The Peloton bike. That's right. Maybe. I don't know if you said that. You could have said anything. Okay. So the Peloton bike, Hey, we don't like the bike. And we actually saw that the Peloton value of that company dropped by a billion dollars overnight because of the cancel culture. It's a real thing. Exclusion is a real thing. Not just out there in the culture. Exclusion happens within our own lives. And many of you, as you raise your hands, you experience some kind of exclusion in your life. You are an outsider. Some of you have experienced racism, not the blatant kind, but the kind of like, you know, behind the scenes, quiet kind that just hurts you. Maybe some of you are the uh, ex-wife or you're part of a family, a blended family, and you get around that other family during the holidays or there's someone that's around and you're excluded because of that. Or perhaps you don't make enough money, you don't have the right pedigree, you don't have the right education. Perhaps you're just excluded from those social circles just because of who you are. It's not anything that you do, it's just that somebody doesn't like you. Uh, exclusion doesn't just, uh, isn't just limited to, uh, social circles and where we work and our finances. We find exclusion in the church. Now I don't really need to get into it. I think the reputation really is like, Hey, churches sometimes have a bad reputation of excluding others. And maybe even you have shown up to churches and you try to get to know them. You try to be involved. You're like, Hey, let me go to the guest welcome table and find a community group. But all your attempts to try to connect with the people of God, it just seems to bounce off of them. Exclusion who's in and who's out. Much of our world is defined by these narrow and frankly subjective ways of thinking about the world, the the ways that society creates for us. Now, here's the good news. Advent is the Christmas season. It comes from the Latin word adventus, which means the coming, the arrival. And in Jesus, we see something completely different than a culture of cancel, a culture of exclusion. In the Christmas season, in the Advent season, we see a God who welcomes human beings in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to try that again. I want you to be involved today. Today's a good day to get involved. So we see that God welcomes human beings in the form of Jesus Christ. 
in the Christmas season. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Cool. We're going to be involved today. If you want, if you don't, I mean, if it's your first time anyway. So uh, one of the most identifiable ways that we see God working in our world is through welcome and the people who belong to Christ, the church, they are marked. They change. They become people who welcome other people. We are, we become uniquely warm, inviting and welcoming people. And so today, as we prepare for Christmas, as we're in the middle of the Advent Christmas season, one of the most wonderful things about the God who came to earth is that he welcomes us. So I've called today's talk, the wonder of welcome. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. Will you join me? God, we thank you so much, uh, for, this church, we thank you for what you're doing, God, and I ask that you would, your presence would be felt right now, that you would come into this room and you'd start to talk to us, you'd bring conviction, you would lead us to hear what we need to hear. God, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down, I think you want me to say, but I ask that if there's other things that need to happen in this room, uh, that you would lead me to say those things. And God, we, we pause and um, for those of us who are trying to hear from you today, God, if there's any kind of blockage, uh, our own minds, just conversations throughout the week, questions about our future, God, I ask that you would push the things out by your supernatural power. You just push out the things that we don't need to focus on so that we can hear from you, God. It would be a shame if we went another hour and we didn't hear from you. So speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been going through different books of the Bible, uh, different Gospels. The Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to be taking a look at uh, an aspect of Jesus' life in the book of Luke. And Luke does a lot to show that Jesus is a welcomer. And if you understand that Jesus is a welcomer, you understand that God is a welcomer. And so I'm going to look at Jesus and God, the welcomer, um, and we're going to look at Luke 15. If you have a phone or a real Bible or you have eyes to see the screen, you can just turn your eyes there. In Luke 15, verse 1, we read this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Okay, let's pause. Pharisees, teachers of the law. Let me give you a little bit of background here. The Pharisees were a Jewish sect. And that Pharisee, that name came from a Hebrew word, which is parush, which means separatist, which means you are separate from the rest of society. And what Pharisees were is they, they believed as Jews, they needed to separate themselves from sinners in order to maintain a ritual holiness that was necessary to draw near to God. They needed to be better, but they couldn't be better if they were with all these sinners. So they had to separate themselves. And so with that context, we read verse one and two together. Look what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, one thing you need to know is that in first century Jewish culture, eating was so much more than grabbing a bite to eat 
uh, at the nearest Chipotle or wherever. It was more than that. It was about intimacy. It was about deep friendship. It was about connection. In fact, during the first century, if you were arguing or you were at odds with something, somebody in the community, one of the ways that you repaired that was to have a meal with them. It was often the way people resolved conflicts with one another. So to eat together was a really big deal. And the point is, is that Jesus is trying to communicate something. Jesus communicated in this moment that he wants to have relationship with who? With sinners, with people that don't have it all together. He was welcoming sinners and he wanted to be friends with sinners. Now, now compare this to where the Pharisees are. Jesus is moving towards sinners. Pharisees, by the very definition of their name, say they have to be separate from sinners. Two very different approaches. So the Pharisees are looking like this guy claims he's from God, but he's hanging around with sinners. That's not going to work. And friends, this is one of the main reasons we should celebrate Christmas. That in this Christmas season, we have a God that is just really exciting and really welcoming. At Christmas, oftentimes we focus on the baby Jesus aspects. Little baby Jesus, he came in a manger, it's so cute. Oh, they didn't have any room at the end. But really, we ought to be celebrating that as a sign and a symbol of what he really was, which was a God who welcomes everybody. We celebrate Jesus' life holistically. That Jesus came into the world to welcome everybody to have a relationship with him. He welcomes everybody. God welcomes people who don't know him. God welcomes sinners. God welcomes people who have broken the rules. God welcomes people who struggle and can't figure it out. Thank you. You can join George anytime. (laughs) But it's even more obvious than God welcoming the down and outers. You see, I have found that among Christians, nobody in this room, other Christians at other churches, I'm just kidding, it's this room, uh, other Christians and, you know, bloggers and maybe even Christian bloggers, that it's easy to talk about God in generalities. It's easy to talk about the welcome of God in generalities, but it's much harder to be inclusive when we got to get a, it's really specific about who Jesus welcomes and who he includes. You see, God just doesn't welcome people in a general sense. Everyone who has problems. God welcomes very specifically. He welcomes those difficult people. Those, what, uh, church, church Christian, you ever hear the word Christianese? There's this phrase in Christianese called extra grace required. Have you ever heard this term? <laughs> Maybe you're unchurched and that's awesome. But like there's, oh, they need a little extra grace required. Mostly in the southeast part of the country. Not South America, but the southeast. Um, extra grace required. There are people that uh, essentially they, 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 it, it seems like God came down from heaven and specifically put them in your life to annoy you. And if you don't have those people in your life, well, you know, you're probably that person. I'm just kidding. Well, anyway, it's much harder to be inclusive when you think of that specific difficult person in your life. Think about them. Think about them for a minute. God loves them and welcomes them. 
even though I might not be able to totally do it with a pure heart. Not just people that affirm what I believe, not just people that follow the same kind of spiritual practices I prefer as a person who's a Jesus follower. There's a lot of difficult people that could be in your life. Um, these are lighter examples, but I'm pretty sure one of the most annoying things in my life isn't really a single person. It's, it's a commercial. It's the Cars for Kids commercial. Yes. Yeah, is that annoying to you too? <laughs> yeah, I've got one. I've got one. I, I'm, you know, I think they're, I, it's the worst. So God loves them too. Or the, I recently, the Domino's pizza commercial. I really dislike this commercial. Does anyone know it? Where, um, uh, okay. I'll have to explain it. Well, it's this guy and he's got like a Jersey accent. He's like, Hey, maybe we bring a late pizza or, or like the no dipping. I'm going to move on anyway. <laughs> But if there was, a, you know, and this is not really, you know, someone that annoys me, but it's a, it's an animal. My first dog was Kingsley, uh, and Kingsley, uh, all dogs go to heaven except for Kingsley. He goes straight to the, anyway, <laughs> he, he was so annoying. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that, those aren't people, those are examples, but those are bad examples, but God welcomes everybody. God's welcome is so big. That he welcomes the person that you wish would get fired. In fact, they deserve to get fired at your job. You know that person. And, and you know, maybe you don't have that person, but some of you do. That person, they got to get fired. And you just, dear Jesus, I hope they get fired. Well, God's welcoming them into a relationship with him. The, God welcomes, in a more serious note, there's people that have offended you and hurt you and they haven't reconciled with you. And God's welcoming them. And I sometimes, personally, when someone's offended me or not in relationship with me and there's nothing I can do about it, I sometimes hope they get punished. I mean, I'm sure you don't, but I hope they're like, man, and like God doesn't work that way. He continues to welcome them to himself, even though they don't have everything right with me. God welcomes the self-absorbed person in your life that seems to get everything that he wants or everything that she wants. God welcomes that person in the entertainment industry who has done more harm than good for the culture because of some of his personal choices. God's reaching out to them. God's welcoming them this Christmas. That's hard to hear, but it is true. God welcomes the politician that bothers you. The politician that you don't plan to vote for next year. God welcomes both. God welcomes both parties. He welcomes all people. And that's what we need to hear. Not just on high sinners and people who were tax collectors that lived 2,000 years ago. God welcomes everybody today. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we better get used to that. Because this week, um, this week, someone's, you're going you're gonna to run into someone that you don't like or annoy you. And it's either going to be on your social or in your real life. And God is going to whisper to you, I welcome them too. And you're going to have a choice on whether you want to participate with what God's doing in their life or not. And that is the welcome of God. It is so big and so wide. It's so inclusive. It's almost scandalous. And it goes far beyond some, some, some people that we're able to welcome, which leads us to our first point. If you're taking notes that God welcomes everybody, God welcomes everybody. Now, a little point of clarification. God doesn't like everything that we do. There's a lot of things that we do as people that God hates. 
but God welcomes people. And what we learn about God is he doesn't affirm all of our choices, whatever we do. I know each of us has a friend, God, that we bring, that we have in our life. And they, whatever we say, they affirm, they're like, oh, that's great. That's so good. That's good. God doesn't always do that with us. He doesn't affirm our bad choices. He doesn't affirm our sinful choices. But at the same time, he welcomes everybody with open arms. And here's who he welcomes. Who does God invite into relationship with him? He invites prisoners. And he invites professors. He invites soccer moms. And he invites single moms. He invites timid moms. And he invites tiger moms. He invites millennials. And he, invi- and he invites uh, boomers. He invites divorcees and married people. He invites CEOs and people who don't have jobs. Friend, if we're going to do this Christian life and if we're going to celebrate Jesus in the right way, the one thing we need to get our heads around is that Jesus welcomes everybody at Christmas, no matter who they are. In fact, it's Christmas year round that Jesus welcomes uh, everyone year round. So that's my first point. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we see that there is a ton of examples of the kinds of people that Jesus welcomes. And since we, we, don't, we only have like three hours left in my sermon, what we're going to have to do is just narrow it down to three, three of those groups. Uh, if this is your first time here, this will be done in like 15 minutes. Okay, so uh, there's three groups I want to highlight that we see in the Gospel of Luke. And those three groups are women, the poor, and sinners. And this, well, the reason I'm choosing to highlight these is because it's somewhat radical compared to the rest of the culture. So who does Jesus welcome? Well, we look at, let's look at the first group. Let's look at women. Uh, Jesus welcomes women. Um, uh, you may know this, you may not know this, but in the gospel of Luke, women are very prominent in the stories. We see that women are the financial supporters of Jesus's ministry. We see that they're a part of the miracles and teachings of Jesus. We see that women serve as eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I'd like to highlight one of those stories that we see in the book of Luke. Follow along on the screen. Look at Luke 10. It says in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I chose this story for a specific reason. And there's two main issues. The first issue is the issue of sitting uh, versus serving. That Jesus called Mary to sit rather than to serve. And Martha has a problem with Mary sitting uh, rather than serving. As many spouses know in this room, sometimes your spouse can have a problem with you sitting versus serving. Not, I mean, from my own life, sometimes we're trying to get, uh, have people over, get the house ready, everything's going, everything's buzzing, we're cleaning up, and uh, Nicole will find me sitting, and I'll try to say something like, I just want to be at the feet of Jesus right now. <laughs> and I uh, usually black out after that. I don't remember what happens, and I wake up. <laughs> Spouses don't want you sitting when you should be serving. Anyway... Um, <laughs> In that story, she's right. Overall, (laughs) sitting versus serving. Um, But there's a second issue here. 
Which brings us to the part where Jesus invites women. Martha is upset not just over the sitting versus serving. There's a particular issue that bothers, bothers Martha about who gets to do the sitting and who gets to do the serving in traditional societies. We're talking about an issue versus, oh, of men versus women. Now, Tom Wright, he is one of the New Testaments, uh, the foremost New Testament scholar. He's extraordinarily gifted in understanding what ha- what's written in the New Testament about Jesus and so on. And he often, in his commentaries, will talk about how houses in the first century were divided between male and female quarters. There were male and female sections of the house. There was male, uh, the, the lines of male and female were delineated very clearly. There was even a huge boundary in the house. But there was an even larger boundary in the ancient world, in the ancient social world. Mary is taking the position of a student. And a student in that time is seen as a disciple. And Martha is upset because that space is generally reserved for men. Mary, what are you doing in this workspace? What are you doing in this discipleship space? That is mostly for men. You should be up serving. Know your role and get back to work. And, uh, you know, it can be quite upsetting to traditionalists when a woman begins to intrude on a space that has been traditionally occupied by men. Did you know that doctors used to say that it was unsafe for women to run marathons. They said their bodies weren't built to do it. And so for that reason, for a number of years, the Olympics excluded females from running marathons because they said their bodies weren't built to do that. Over the years, I've heard lots of things, even in my lifetime, and I'm an exennial. In my lifetime, the things I've heard that women can't do, I've heard things like women can't be police officers or women can't be in the military or women can't be firefighters. I've also witnessed the war within the church in my lifetime. Women can't be missionaries. Women can't be pastors. Women can't preach. Now, how many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you women were raised with limitations about how God could use you or how God might be calling you personally or professionally. How many, how many of you, a few of you hands up the number of hands. Yeah. It's hard to admit cause it sucks, but some of you may have been led or, you know, maybe you were said, Hey, you're not that good at STEM or women aren't that strong at math. Or maybe you grew up in a household where women's roles within the church were limited to just working with a particular ministry simply because of your gender. We don't see that in the life of Jesus. Therefore, here at Pacific City Church, we believe that God's gifts and God's calling to ministry are issued irrespective of gender. There's no gender limit on who can, you can clap for that. I think that's a good thing. I generally think it's a good thing. Yay. There's no gender limit on who can teach and who can preach or who can lead worship or who can pastor, or be on the board, or who can be a church planter, or a missionary, or even a senior pastor. And if you would like to learn more, we have a few position papers on this. Maybe you come from a more conservative background that didn't really embrace this. We'd love to give you those papers. Or you can pick up a book written by one of my favorite uh, pastors in the Vineyard Movement. His name is Rich Nathan, and he co-wrote a book with my friend, Insu Kim. It's called Both And. And in that book, they, have, uh, the, they lay out the biblical and theological case for women in ministry and such. And you should take a look at that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, 
That's rich. Uh, also, here's a more practical way. Uh, Pacific City Women is a ministry in our church. And this ministry is for you, women. Guys, sorry. It is for the women, and it's there to develop leadership skills among women. It's equipping women to have influence in their personal and their professional lives. And in 2020, they're putting together some new small group curriculum and offering leadership trainings and breakouts. Our goal at this church is to pay attention to what God's doing in your life as women and empower you to do that thing. And there's a bunch of gaps that we can help you. We think we can help you catch up uh, to where, where men are and what they're doing and, and offer something completely different. And so we're doing that. We've just launched this ministry a few months ago, and it's going to continue to grow over the coming weeks and months. So uh, that's just a little plug. But back to the story. Look what we see here. Why was Mary commended by Jesus? Mary was commended by Jesus because in a society dominated by men, a male-dominated society, Mary chose to fight through the negativity of the culture and even the negativity of her own sister. Martha was thinking that Mary was being a little too disruptive, getting a little too uppity, and Mary says, no, no, Mary, Martha, no. I'm not going to take my cues from my sister. I'm not going to take my cues from my older brother. I'm not even going to conform to the expectations that society puts on me. There is one person I need to listen to, one voice I need to have in my life, and that is the voice of Jesus. I'm going to ask myself, Jesus, what do you want for my life? Jesus, what are you doing in me? How are you leading me? Jesus, what are you calling me to become? Women of Pacific City Church. Jesus comes to you in this Christmas season and he brings the same freedom and invitation to you. Jesus is still speaking this truth to you today. This Christmas, who will you listen to? Will you listen to the voice of somebody that doesn't have your best intentions in mind? Will you listen to the negativity? Will you limit yourself based on your gender? Or will you stand with the other dozens of women in this church and in the modern Christian movement and say, no, I believe that Jesus is speaking to me. He is calling to me. I will listen to what Jesus wants for my life. Women of Pacific City Church, will you respond to Jesus this Christmas season? So that's one group, women. Another group is the poor. God welcomes uh, everyone, and in that we see that Jesus welcomes women, but we also see that Jesus welcomes the poor. And the Gospel of Luke spends a lot of time talking about the poor, how he welcomes the poor. And I want to highlight just one section of Scripture. Look with me in Luke 4, in verse 16, it says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, every Christmas, in the holiday season, as soon as you see the first Christmas ad, especially Americans... We get to see that everybody has a lot of good news for the rich. You see ads on TV. 
I don't know how, I, I was watching, a, I don't know what I was watching yesterday, but I was watching something and I couldn't tell you how many ads I saw for K Jewelers, that special someone in your life. It's a diamond that's surrounded by other diamonds. Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> He'll, she'll love it. Just buy it. Put it on our credit card. Luxury vacations. We get ads for luxury vacations. Go to this island to do this thing with this thing. Then your life will be complete. And you also get middle-class vacations. Have you ever been on a celebrity cruise? Look how much fun we're having going down this slide. Uh, there's all kinds of things. There's ads for expensive skincare. There's luxury automobiles where there's a sultry person of the opposite sex telling you you should buy an SUV Jaguar. And that will make you happy this Christmas. Only seventeen ninety nine a month. Uh, you know, whatever. And then... Of course, there's the credit card ads. Uh, I get these in the mail like all the time. They're like, trade in your good credit card for this triple black uranium card. It's so good. It's an exclusive club that'll make you feel so exclusive. You're getting all the exclusive places. Yes, we sent it out to 35 million other people today, but you can be exclusive every day. There's ads, there's offers of good news for the wealthy, good news for the rich. But, friends, the good news of Jesus is different. Jesus offers not just good news to the wealthy, but Jesus offers good news to the poor. And throughout the life and public ministry of Jesus, Jesus, we see, welcomes the poor. Jesus brought good news to the poor. He proclaimed that even if you don't have a lot to offer, God offers you life. That he shows us that wealth isn't something that indicates whether you're more loved or more hated by God. God loves you because he made you and he wants relationship with you, which was a controversial subject at the time. People generally thought that if you were wealthy, that meant God loved you more. Jesus comes along and says, actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. Your social status connected to your wealth has nothing to do with the way God feels about you. And the writer of Luke says that Jesus brings good news to the poor. But question, today, in 2019, how does Jesus actually bring good news to the poor? Now, Pacific City Church, we believe that Jesus chooses to bring good news to the poor through his church. It is through you and it is through me. When the people of the, when people encounter the church and they need food, the church ought to give them something to eat. And when people are in the hospital or they're in a nursing home, the church ought to be the people who go to the nursing home or we go pray for healing or we visit them in the hospital. When families are transitioning from being homeless to not homeless, the church ought to be the people who go and help these people to transition and make their lives work. The church ought to be doing this with the homeless, the people who are looking for work, people in LA, and we ought to be doing it with people all over the world. Uh, let me, um, so this is a fun illustration. Um, so recently, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Marin, my daughter and I, in the morning, sometimes when we're eating food, we'll watch YouTube clips. So we watch a lot of, you know, things that a six-year-old would like, like how to make a Star Wars cake, or sometimes we'll watch a Taylor Swift music video. Or whatever, you know, or something daddy wants to watch. Um, and so we're just sitting there. We, we have it going. And uh, an ad popped up. 
uh, and we're, and we started watching it. Most of the time you have to wait for the ads to go like five seconds and you click skip ad, but something clicked with us on this one. And it was an ad for charity water and it was a 20 minute ad. And we watched the whole thing. We watched the whole story of charity water and Scott Harrison and all the fun things that he does with charity water. And, uh, we actually like clicked on the website and we actually went and looked around and they, and they, it, they made a clear invitation and we actually uh, was signed up to give uh, money on a regular basis to Charity Water. The ad system actually worked with Google that time. And we, we gave money. And, uh, you know, the reason I tell you that is like, you know, it, it's important for parents and it's important for us not just to like, you know, like talk about it. But like, if there's a way for us to do something, let's do that. And let's train our children to do it too. It doesn't come naturally to them. And so it was, we decided to sign up for $30 a month to give to Charity Water. And 100% of the donation goes to help build clean water wells in different parts of the world. But it didn't come without a cost that Marin had to give $1 of her own money each month, which might seem like nothing, but really for a child to actually hand you a crumpled dollar each month was wonderful. We need to be, you know, not only doing that with ourselves and taking it seriously, but we actually need to be practically looking for ways that God brings to us to join with his spirit and helping others uh, who are in need, others who are poor. And if we're going to claim the name of Jesus this Christmas season, we ought to be aligning ourselves with the vision that Jesus has for the poor. And that is welcoming the poor and doing what we can for the poor. Jesus offers good news to the poor. So third and final point, uh, so Jesus offers, uh, welcomes women, he welcomes the poor. We also see that Jesus welcomes sinners. The whole gospel of Luke speaks about God's wide open arms to sinners. And the religious people of Jesus' day, they often marginalize and sometimes they even rejected sinners but Jesus is different. Look what he says. He, he tells this parable, a fictional story about what the kingdom of God is like and what God is really like. And it says in Luke 18, verse 9, it says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Tax collectors, oh, it's not like the IRS Although the IRS is pretty despised here in the United States, tax collectors were despised because what they did is they served, they were Jewish people that would collect taxes on behalf of the Roman occupiers from other Jewish people. But what they would do, just to keep the math simple, if Rome said, I need $10, they would go, okay, we'll go do that. Uh, and instead of collecting $10, they would collect $15. Uh, and they would, they would collect a higher percentage more than they were supposed to simply so that they couldn't have a little money of their own. Essentially, they were leveraging the sword and the power of the Roman government to make themselves rich. 
And they were doing it on the backs of their fellow brothers and sisters. They were despised. They were traitors. They were cheating their own people. And then on the other hand, in the story, you have a Pharisee who's a separatist, who is like loving God and trying to do everything right. And, you know, the Pharisee, imagine the scene here. You have a tax collector. He's probably timid to go up to the temple. Hey, it's been a while since I've been there. I'll probably show up late after worship. It's kind of awkward anyway. I'll just sit in the back. I'll just kind of figure out what's going on. I'll see, you know, I'm a little nervous to be here. On the other hand, you probably, and you have the Pharisee who felt loved when he showed up in the room, super confident. People probably recognized him. He shook hands. Uh, He probably went there a few times a day. And look what the Pharisee says. It's very interesting. He says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the problem, the problem with the Pharisee appealing to his own moral record is huge. And Jesus is laying it out for us here. Jesus is essentially saying that Pharisees, and you can read about this in other parts of the Bible, that that the Pharisee thinks he is in with God and that he is included with God's big purposes because of what he believes, how he behaves, and how he serves. He believes all the right things. I believe in you, God. You're the best. I have all this theology and background. I behave. I don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. And I serve. I don't know any women that chew. Uh, (laughs) And I serve. I like help out, you know, with the tables and the things. And I like go and I like give money to the poor. I serve. I do all those things. And Jesus is saying, hey, you may look like you have it all right because you behave, you believe, and you serve. But you got it wrong. You got it wrong. What's wrong with appealing to your uh, track record? Well, essentially, there's two things. And Jesus hits on this. You know, and it, it works for us too. We can believe all the right things. We can behave in all the right ways. And we can serve our little hearts out. But our hearts can actually be very far away from God. And we see that with this Pharisee. He thinks he's justified because of all these external things. But when it comes to being in a real relationship with God, it doesn't exist for him. It's not there. And the other thing that the Pharisee is doing here is he thinks because he believes and behaves and serves in all the right ways, he's essentially saying to God, God, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me a better car. You owe me a better life. You owe me all the things that I think I deserve. This is the formula. I show up to the temple a few times a day. Therefore, you give me what I want. And it can be the same for us. God, I show up to church at 10 a.m. And sometimes 10, 15, but most of the time, 10 a.m. I get there. I'm a part of a group. I give my money to the poor. I do all these things. I try not to be mean to my family over Christmas, even though they deserve it. God, you owe me. God, you owe me more money. God, you owe me a better job. God, you owe me the romantic relationship you think I deserve. And God is saying, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it doesn't work that way. And think about this. Here's the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector approaches God with humility, complete humility. He's saying, no, I don't need that. You know, God, it's because of your mercy that I'm even here. I stand before you 
because of your mercy. God, I owe my existence to you. The very fact that my body works, the very fact that I have air in my lungs, the reason I can walk, the reason I can talk, the reason I have food, the reason I have shelter over my head. It's because of you, God. It is all a gift from God. And the only way I can come into your presence right now, God, is because of your mercy. God, thank you so much for what you've done. And therefore, I can have a relationship with you. And you've heard this me say this many times before. And it's a quote from Tim Keller. But the Pharisee is approaching God saying, I obey. Therefore, God must give me what I want. But the tax collector is approaching God and saying, I am accepted by God because of his mercy. Therefore, I obey. And what happens is you get two people radically motivated in radically different ways that results in radically different lives. And God says one is better than the other. That God has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. And it isn't because of anything you've done. It's about welcoming, welcoming him in. And friends, this is the wonder of the Advent season. This is the wonder of Christmas. The power of Christmas is that Jesus came to earth. And he is a human. He showed us to demonstrate to us the crystal clear sign that he welcomes everybody to himself. God welcomes us into the great adventure. He welcomes us to get rid of the things, to throw off all the things that hold us back, of the negativity of others, the unbelief and the anxiety that we take on from others. And because of the cross, he welcomes us in and he trades in our sorrows for his joy. Hey, God, I give you what this person did to me. I give it to you. And he gives you something else in return. Hey, God, I am giving you this pain I'm feeling about a relationship, God, and he exchanges it for something else. Every single thing, God exchanges our problems for his goodness, and it's because of the cross. But here's the deal. God welcomes us to experience his power and his presence, but he doesn't force us. Each one of us must choose to welcome his power and his presence. There is no point in scripture where it's like a, like a dad or a mom forcing their child to like get washed or, so, or, or in, in, a, in a bathtub or like making a kid go to bed or making somebody do something. Imagine any kind of relationship where there's force being applied on somebody. God doesn't do that with us. He says, here it is. You're welcome, but you must choose. You must choose it. And this Christmas... Some of you should choose Jesus for the first time. Or some of you have walked away and you're saying, you know, I don't know. But you feel and believe that God is calling you to himself. And Jesus, that is the voice of Jesus. And some of you already follow Jesus, but he is inviting you to welcome him into your life in a different way this Christmas season. Whether it's a difficult situation, whether it's an opportunity that you're you're called to invite him in. Maybe it's a way for you to not believe the negativity of the culture, but to welcome him in. And when we do this, this changes everything. Will you welcome Jesus into your life this Christmas season? Will you welcome him into the difficult decisions? Will you welcome him into the issues you're facing, into your addictions, into your problems? Will you invite him to remove the barriers in your life so that you can join up with the best version uh, that God has for you? I believe it's worth it. The wonder of welcome, Jesus welcomes you this Christmas. Amen? Why don't we all stand?
So um, I'm going to invite the band back up. And um, why don't we do this? I'm going to invite a few groups uh, forward. Uh, what we believe here is that uh, God still speaks and that he wants to, uh, he wants to uh, do work in us. And so we invite different groups to respond to what God might be doing. And so if one of those things applies to you, we invite you to come forward. And someone from our prayer ministry team or one of our leaders will pray for you about one of those specific things. So but before we do, why don't we just pause and invite God's presence again and see if there's something else that God might be doing in the room. So God, we thank you for your welcome. We praise you for it, God. We look to you, and it's because of your mercy. It's because of your mercy. It's because of your mercy that we're here today. We welcome you here, God.